Hello and welcome to episode 71 of the Synergen Leadership Podcast. For those of you who are listening for the first time, my name is Julian Carl and I'm CEO and co-founder of Synergen Group. I'm passionate about all things leadership and management. So passionate, in fact, that I decided to start a podcast about it. And here we are in season two, and my purpose for the podcast continues to be the same, to raise the standard of leadership. In today's show, I speak with Ashley Elsady, who is the founder and CEO of The Promo Donna, a Melbourne-based boutique agency which provides businesses with effective marketing communication programs aimed at generating new business opportunities and the acquirement of new clients. She is also the founder of Sales Sisters, a membership-based organisation and support network that not only enables women to implement effective sales and marketing strategies into their business, but also to develop the superstar sales persona so as to run the successful businesses that they were always dreamt of. Ashley has held senior leadership roles such as general manager and sales manager, has a degree in public relations, and a bit of a fun fact, she has appeared on television in shows such as Neighbours and City Homicide. Now, during the course of the conversation, we explore a number of different aspects of Ashley's leadership journey. We start by looking back when Ashley was first in a leadership role and the challenges associated with this. We speak a lot about the importance of understanding that people are different and have different styles. We also take time to discuss some of the challenges in being a business owner and a leader of your own business. We finish the interview by talking about the importance of understanding your team. So keep listening, and as always, we'd really like to hear your thoughts about the interview with Ashley Alsady, founder and CEO of Promo Donner and Sales Sisters. Happy listening. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian returns in 2019 with weekly conversations with leaders and authors from Australia and around the world, giving you the opportunity to share in their journey and learn from their expertise and knowledge. Julian also shares some of the tools and techniques he uses as a leader, mentor and facilitator, helping you to build your leadership capability and improve your confidence as a leader. Welcome, Ashley, to the Synergen Leadership Podcast. Really nice to actually have you in HQ, which is great, so that the listeners have a bit of an idea about who you are and what you do. Are you able to share a little bit about Ashley Alsady? Definitely. It's my pleasure being here. Um, Thanks for inviting me along. Uh, Look, I'm better known as the cold calling queen, actually, Julian, as you would know. Um, So I run a company called The Promo Donna. I have for nearly eight years now. And we are a lead generation based, uh, a lead generation company based in Melbourne. We help hundreds of companies all around Australia to generate highly qualified sales leads or sales appointments for their company. And ultimately what we're doing is getting them in the door with their ideal clients. But, um, you know, I mentioned that I was a cold calling queen. So yes, we're that rare breed that love doing the grunt sales work that most people would avoid. And I've done that for nearly 15 years now, and I still love it. So right, so you've got you've got a challenge already there that everyone's telling us in sales land: cold calling's dead, cold calling's dead. Obviously not if you're running a business doing that. Spot on. I love that you've brought this up because you, you're right. It's a it's a bit of an age old debate that's going round. Uh, I believe that the people that are kind of preaching that it's dead are probably those that want it to be dead. You know, they're they're into social media. They don't want to cold call themselves. But I believe that now more than ever, human-to-human contact is needed. So even if you are, you know, doing a lot of online posts, you know, doing direct mail, whatnot, you have to pick up the phone and actually follow up your prospects. And, and yes, cold calling definitely still works because we generate meetings every week. Mm, great. <laughs> what about an interesting fact about the promo donna that people might not know? Oh, look, this is a good one because I can come from so many different angles with it. Uh, one thing I will say is that everyone always asks about the name. You know, they go, oh, the promo donna, what a great name. How did you come up with it? And I wish that I had a better story than I do. It kind of just came to me because obviously we show off our clients when we're on the phone. 
So I thought, you know, show off, prima donna, promo donna. And so, you know, I refer to my team as, you know, the promo donna cold calling queens. Um, another fun fact, though, is that I have uh, a, an acting background. So I'm a bit of a performer at heart. And a lot of people say, why do you love cold calling? You know, why do you love selling? And I really put it down to that. I think that I love studying human behavior, but also kind of the performance of it all. So when I pick up the phone, I think I'm almost stepping into character. And probably it's the same for my team. You know, they they love getting into a role, so to speak. Okay. So we've got a bit of sense of Prima Donna and, and you, and we're, we're going to explore that a bit later. But yes. right now, I'd like to take you back, mm-hmm. all the way back to your very first leadership role. Are you able to share with the listeners a little bit about what that was? Yes. Look, I would have to say my first real leadership role was of um, or as school captain. So I was school captain of Frankston High School in 2002. I'll share with you first how I won that role because <laughs> it is an interesting story. So I'd always wanted to get into leadership, but maybe just hadn't really found my voice or confidence to step forward and do it. So I'd, again, done a bit of performing at the time, done a lot of theatre, and I remember they asked people to apply for the role as school captain, and it was only the one school captain, by the way. You had two supporting vice uh, school captains, but you were on your own. And I thought, you know, I could probably do this, you know, let's see how I go. And I remember a teacher at the time said, Ash, if you want to win the school over, because it was the student vote, um, you have to put on some kind of performance because everyone does the same old speech, you know, do something that's going to shake it up. So I remember I got on that stage and there was probably about 10 of us applying for the role and I was last. So nine people had spoken before me and she was right. It was all about, oh, I'm going to be great because of this, this and this. And you could see everyone was getting tired and, you know, glassy eyes in the audience. And so I started singing. And everyone just went, what? I think I actually sung that Bachelor Girl Shine and I changed it to shine a little light on the school or something really (laughs) corny. Like, you know, but I look back on it these days and go, I don't know why I did that. But it did get the results. So what happened was I sung, they all then applauded and I said, now that I've got your attention, I want to share with you why I'd be a great school captain. And so I, I shared some of my different ideas around policies and things like that. But yeah, I guess that was my first learning point that, you know, as a leader, you do have to have that ability to engage audiences and really have people believe in you because that obviously, you know, was shown through through that song. Um, the next day they announced that I was school captain and I remember my first reaction was, oh, crap, what have I done? Because I think it just dawned on me. I've got a big role to fill now. Am I really going to be able to do it? But in true Ash form, because this is what I'm like, I'm, I'm someone that always, you know, something will come up. I'll roll up my sleeves and, and get into it. I just said, no, nah, this is it. I'm school captain now. Let's make it, you know, the best role I've done. So it all started from there. <laughs> when, when, when you sang that song, no background music, just straight acapella as they call it so yeah it was acapella and I remember someone came up to me after and he said how do you do that like how do you stand up in front of people and just sing like that and I remember I I think my answer was because I just pretended you all weren't there like I (laughs) I just pretended I was in my shower or something but I also knew that it would get their reaction and their engagement so yeah I had to do it. <laughs> I'm, I'm almost tempted to have you sing on the podcast because I haven't had anyone no, sing on the podcast yet. No, we won't go there. <laughs> so, school captain, what yep. were your biggest learnings from the role? Oh, so much. And that's why, you know, I bring up this role because I think, you know, I was only 17 at the time and I hadn't really seen into the world of politics first and foremost. So, number one, I really learned about 
people and their different personalities and having to manage different personalities. So I had two vice um, captains, as I said, that I got along with so well, but they were so different, you know, such different people. One of them was very detailed, very organized, very matter of fact. This is how things are. Probably black or white is a good way of describing him. The woman, however, was much more creative, you know, kind of wanted more of that performance, you know, side of things a bit like myself. So I had to really play to that. And that's what I learned. Um, So at first, it was a little bit hard, you know, to kind of manage them, so to speak. But once I found my feet and learned, okay, that person likes that, and that person likes that, I could play them to their strengths is I guess what I was saying. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned before that you always wanted to be in leadership Mm. after doing that for that year. Yes. Did that confirm that leadership was where you were going to go? Great question. Look, I had so many challenges that year, which I, you know, it's probably a very long story, too long for this podcast, (laughs) because there was a whole lot of things that happened uh, along the lines of, um, Let's just say there was a few students that, you know, got noses out of joint because they had been in leadership for a very long time. And when the student body uh, elected me in, I'd never done it before. So they wanted to change the policies around that and all that. So I was constantly questioning, did I want to do something like this long term? Because, you know, you were constantly up against, again, different personalities, politics, whatnot. But I I always, I'll never forget, there was one woman that came up to me at the end of the school year and she said to me, and this was so honest, but I, th- I will be forever grateful. She said, I remember when they chose you, Ash, and I thought they'd made the wrong decision. And that was brutally honest. I went, okay, you know, I'd obviously sung a song. She thought it was just <laughs> all about the flair. But she said, you have been the best school captain I think the school's ever had. And I just was blown away by that because it was a real passion of mine, obviously to perform and engage, but I really was driven to make change. So I did things like changing um, the food in the canteen because we had a lot of people with um, anorexia and bulimia, unfortunately. So I got healthy school menus in there because we had crappy food (laughs) to date. Um, There were just a whole lot of things that I really wanted to change in the school and it sounds like I was able to do that. So after I got that feedback, yes, I decided I think leadership was definitely in my future. Okay. Let's talk about the significant leadership role that you've had in business. Yeah. Before Primadonna, because I want to explore that a bit later. Before Primadonna. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, so after I graduated from university, so in university I studied public relations and marketing, I still didn't really know what I wanted to do, which happens to a lot of of students. Of course. (laughs) It's a very broad area, so who knows? And I had a friend that said, why don't you try corporate sales? You know, you've got the gift of the gab, you love people, you should try it out. And I was born and bred on the Mornington Peninsula. So there was actually a sales firm down there called Harvest, uh, which... I got introduced to the boss there. It was quite a boutique team, but I thought, you know, maybe this could be a a great avenue for me to take. So I started working there and the boss and I just hit it off straight away. You know, we were great friends, but also very passionate about selling as well. And she obviously saw a lot in me probably from an entrepreneurial point of view. So it's almost like she took me under her wing to be her right-hand man. But okay. all I remember her saying, you know, this is almost like an internship to business. Um, take it that way. So that was great. So the leadership role I took on, I remember I started off, cause I was there for about five years. Um, I was first a marketing manager, then I was a sales manager, and then all this stuff happened in the GFC. Remember when the yep. well, yeah, in I, I think well. it was two thousand and eight, wasn't yep. it? So hard times. She had a general manager, and she unfortunately had to let him go. And I said, well, why don't I just step up and do that? Because you know, a lot of it was just client management. I loved again, you know, nurturing those relationships. She said, okay, that's great, but. 
what I guess I didn't realize was a big part of that general manager role was managing the team. So that was probably my second big introduction into leadership in business. Okay. So talk to me about the, how many people in the team, what some of the challenges you had. Yeah. So look, I, I mentioned earlier, it was a boutique team, but there was probably 10 people that I was managing. Challenge number one came when I realized that, well, I'm younger than most of the people that I'm managing. Now, they were all lovely people and I probably made lifelong friends from some of the eldest people, you know, in that group. But you definitely, again, had to manage certain personality styles. And I would say one of the biggest learnings that I got from that was about change and how a lot of people don't like change. Um, I'll tell you a quick story here because it demonstrates that and kind of what I was dealing with. We moved offices at one point and the boss at the time, she had a young child. So it was actually school holidays. So it was probably quite convenient for her that um, she was on school holidays during the move and I was ultimately in charge of kind of managing things. So when we made that move, people lost car parks. Now that seems silly, doesn't it? That it's this minimum, for me, it was a minimal thing that I didn't think people would care about, but they lost it. And I remember there was one of the elder guys in the group that absolutely blasted me as if it was my fault that he was losing his car park. But again, it was great insight for me as a leader to see that, well, change is a really big thing and these people needed to be nurtured and kind of handheld and reassured that just because they were losing a car park didn't mean they were any less valuable. So, yes, that was a big lesson. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I interviewed someone and he made an observation around the difference between managing salespeople mm. and managing other types of employees. And he's got a belief that managing salespeople is probably the hardest Ooh. managerial aspect of leadership. <laughs> Agree? Disagree? What do you think? Do you know, it's funny because I've always managed salespeople. So yep. maybe I don't know the other side. That's <laughs> yeah. why I laugh because I was thinking, well, that's great feedback for me. So maybe I've always dealt with the hardest people yeah. <laughs> to deal with. And I'm getting, you know, I, I, maybe I've done a great job in that sense. But um, look, I, I, I would understand where he's coming from in the sense that I think salespeople definitely have very out there personalities at times, but everyone's still different. I guess that's, you know, what I'm thinking. So for example, um, you know, at the Promo Donna, um, I've got five cold callers and you would obviously assume that with them doing cold calling and talking to people all day that they're all quite extrovert and, you know, out there and love talking with people. However, they all have very different styles. So, you know, Annie that's with me, for example, is very detailed. If you were on the DISC profile, I think she'd be a bit of a C C person, almost leaning with a bit of S in there as well. Whereas then you've got um, Kerry, who is probably a high I. So, yes, I think salespeople you know, because of their somewhat flamboyant personalities would be hard to manage at times, but they're definitely all different in their own right. And I think any business you'll come across different people and different styles. Okay. (laughs) So you ended up GM of that role, Mm -hmm. of that that organisation. Was that the catalyst for you then to say, hey, I want to do my own thing? Yes. Look, I think for a long time, Even before I saw it, people saw in me that I was going to run my own business. Um, I remember they had an admin manager actually at that business and she said to me, oh, you'll be running your own business one day. So, you know, you need to learn this stuff or, you know, whatever it was. So, yeah, it was always in the back of my mind. Unfortunately, that business went under. (laughs) So... Again, like, I mean, on reflection, it was a great learning for me, again, because I saw what worked and what didn't, you know, even in a leadership sense as well. Um, So when that all happened, I I took it as kind of divine timing. I was like, well, it's now or never. I'm going to jump in the deep end and 
I've always been lucky because I think my advantage is I love cold calling. I love business development. So when I started the promo Donna, there was never a fear of where is my new business coming from? How am I going to sell? I just jumped on the phone and started calling companies I wanted to work with. Um, So, yeah, that's how it all started. So was it it one of those those stories where you're in your bedroom and it's just you, a phone and a computer and it's just you got it off the ground all on your own, that sort of story? Definitely. Um, I remember, it's actually funny, I was living with two um, other people at the time, had two housemates. One of them was a DJ, mind you, (laughs) right? He would love hearing this story. So he had a lot of late nights but then he'd sleep in but there was often a lot of noise around as well. So we had a little office and yes, I would get up and and cold call from there. Um, However, I also took a lot of time to go to my parents because that was very quiet and they had an office space. And the reason I bring up this story is that I remember my parents both sat me down one day and said, do you really want to do this? Like, why would you want to cold call as your career. Like, this is terrible. No one likes cold calling. But I really stayed true to my passion and said, no, I like doing it. And I know there's a gap. So I'm going to continue. And I'm glad I didn't listen to them because <laughs> eight years later, you know, my mum still says it, you know, to this day, she's like, because I do a lot of training aside from yep. the cold calling. So I, I love training people in, in how to more effectively sell. And mum will always say, don't you want to do more of the training? You know, maybe just leave the cold calling and yeah, but look, I love it and I'll always, I'll always do it. So, yeah. (laughs) Do you you remember as a leader that first time or the time you put on your first employee? Yes. Oh, well, it was funny how the first employee came about too, because so when I started out, my vision or what I thought would happen is I would just run a small little business from home. You know, I would have four clients, comfortably cold call for all of them, and that would be it, you know, a good little income. However, you know, word of mouth and things like that happened, so I started to rapidly grow. And I remember the – I think it was my fifth client that I actually signed that I remember – I went to the meeting, I signed them, I walked out the front and I had this moment where I went, oh my God, how am I going to facilitate for all these clients? You know, because it was really important, you know, to me that I delivered a great service. So I thought, you know, I'm not going to be able to do this on my own. And I actually knew a woman from my past job. So you'll remember I worked for that company. Unfortunately, it went under and there was a woman there that was also quite passionate about cold calling. So I called her up. She said, great, you know, I'd be happy to help you. I can do it from home as well. But that was a very... Again, it's all about learning. Um, I think one of the biggest learnings about hiring my first employee for Promodonna was about the structure and the, uh, how do I say it, like how she was remunerated because I thought, and I still get asked this question to this day actually, how they're remunerated because I think a lot of people think salespeople are driven by money. So they think, oh, we'll pay them a commission on a sale. So for her, I was saying, you get X amount of appointments, I'll pay you X amount of dollars. Mm. However, that's not always the case. You Mm. know, she was obviously someone that was much more into security as in, I just want an attractive base and I'll work really hard for you. So it was interesting because I thought that she'd get all these amazing results, which mind you, she still did get really great results, but I didn't find that it was the money per appointment that drove her. So Mm. yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. I think it's a common mistake uh, people, sales managers make thinking just just throw the dollar because I had to learn it too, because I was a sales manager before I was ever a salesperson and uh, I had that same view and suddenly realized one of my team he didn't want really want the commissions he wanted some recognition instead yeah that he was doing a great job so it's a, it's it's valuable to, to reflect back on those i think definitely so i'm curious now to explore your views on leadership mm. and what do you think the biggest myth around leadership is that you've come across the biggest myth i would say 
This is quite controversial, actually. <laughs> okay, I'm looking forward to it. Let's, let's put it out there. You know, there's a there's a real saying about, you know, as a business owner, you've got to work on your business, not in your business, right? Yes. So, so everyone keeps telling me. <laughs> this yeah. is the myth, right? Because it never happens. No, yeah. that's, a, that's not true. You know, I do agree with it to a certain point. However, the reason I bring it up is because I have found, and this was also a learning from my past role as that GM as well because what I saw there was um, the owner at the time really had put down the tools, so to speak. So even though she was still heavily involved in the business, she never did any of the sales. So a lot of the sales team therefore felt, well, she doesn't get it because she's not in the trenches. So this is what I'm getting at is I've always been a big believer and probably because I'm still very passionate about cold calling, mind you, I love still getting on the phones, but I think an advantage of it is that my team also see Ash gets it. You know, if we've got a client account, we've got one at the moment, and it's a bit of a tough one, you know, where we're kind of doing surveys of people and it's very complex. Yeah. And um, my team love it because I have been on the phone at least once a week supporting them. And it's great because then, you know, I get what they're experiencing. I can feed it back to the client. So, yeah, ultimately what I'm saying is I think the myth is sometimes that the leader is kind of this top-ranking person and people are underneath them, Mm. whereas I believe everyone should be equal, so to speak, and that the leader should try and experience on the ground what people are experiencing. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. How do you describe yourself as a leader? Well, I would probably say it ties in with what I've just said, that, you know, I'm definitely someone who is not the person that comes into the office and doesn't talk to anyone, (laughs) you know, kind of shuts the door and, you know, does what they have to do and everybody else is the minions kind of working away. I like to be on the floor with them, you know, doing the calling and and whatnot. However, I will also say that that has sometimes been a downfall of of mine as a leader. I'll be very honest in saying that I, as a leader, I tend to – want to befriend people too so you know i'm obviously someone that loves people loves talking to people so quite often my staff become very close to me too and that can be very tough when i have to have say a hard conversation or i have to manage them so yeah i i think that's the battle for me at times as a leader that's an interesting battle because what technology has done is now added a whole new complexity to that because when the programs we run, often I'll say to people, well, what are your boundaries? Are you Facebook friends with your people that report to you? Are you connected to them on LinkedIn? All of those types of things. And I get such a range. I have some people that say they will absolutely not accept any friend request from anyone in their business or anyone in their team. Then I've had other people on the same table say, no, no, I'll be friends with them all. Yes. So it's a really interesting dynamic. Well, if you were to ask that question to me, I am friends. Like, (laughs) it's probably no surprise. I'm friends with all of my staff on social media. But it has worked in a positive way for me, um, mainly because I like to, you know, I'm a big um, person on recognition and Mm -hmm. rewards for staff. Because, you know, I mentioned earlier that. I don't believe my staff are really driven by, um, you know, a monetary value on appointments. It's more about, you know, if they create an appointment for a client, I remember they they did this once, one meeting equated to a $3 million contract for a client. Now, I most, love that. Yeah. And most people were like, I hope you guys are getting a commission on that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which we weren't, unfortunately. But it was the fact that our client then sent – a huge um, kind of hamper to this um, uh, staff member, to this cold caller, and also that she got the recognition online. So I made sure to do a post to say this caller has, you know, generated this for this client, and she was just glowing. She Mm. absolutely loved it. So I'm a believer in being friends with them for that 
um, side of things that yeah. you you know give them recognition, give them reward, make them feel like part of the team. Also, because companies like to put a face to a name, you know, yeah. oh, that's a real person. They're not you know offshore yeah. or something. Um, but yeah. You do certainly learn a lot about your staff mm. online, though, as well. They'll probably be listening to this yeah. going, oh, God, I better monitor it more. Yeah. But it's true. You see the the outside of work side of them that yeah. sometimes you're like, oh, I didn't know that about yeah. that person. It's very so. different sometimes. It is. <laughs> you, you mentioned offshore then. Is, mm. is that something which comes up for you a lot that when you're selling, people are asking you, are your cold calls Australian-based? Is it? Hundred percent. That is probably now one of the number one questions that I get asked. And it's really interesting because when I started out nearly eight years ago, it wasn't. So I don't know whether it's because maybe the landscape changed. And as we know, companies are offshoring a lot more. So that's probably why. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a huge, it's of huge importance to them that they get someone who's local that understands the market. And that also, I guess, comes across in the way that they want us to. You know, we've got to be professional. We've got to um, represent their brand. And I'll say here, by the way, that I never knock offshoring, though, because Mm. we've actually worked on a few client accounts where we worked in conjunction with them. So maybe it was like the lower end kind of database qualification that they got it offshored, whereas if you're looking for more the high end relationship building that's where you might get someone a bit more local who probably Mm. understands that all a bit more Uh, but yeah it's definitely asked every time someone inquires yeah Mm. i actually think it's it's important because i was recently chatting to someone from the netherlands Mm. uh, and we're talking about sales and she had a really interesting observation about australian salespeople saying that we are far because she was asking me about my style and all the rest of it and she was saying Australian salespeople are far more relaxed and they they far less indirect. Whereas in the Netherlands, it's do you want to buy this or do you not want to buy this type? Mm. It's very direct. And I think it was just a interesting thing to think about the nuances that different countries have in terms of what what people want. Because yes. I think there's a real sentiment at the moment that we don't want uh, overseas people ringing us. Uh, just because of the experiences we have. I had one last night. I just hang up now. (laughs) And this is the thing is I think you're spot on. You've kind of hit on the fact that, you know, people talk about offshoring and, you know, how they get annoyed that, you know, telemarketers call from over there and they don't – they just read from a script. They don't um, listen and things like that. But it may just be a cultural thing. It may be the cultural difference. Maybe that is how they sell and what works over there. Because mm-hmm. um, you are right. I, I quite often, I'm connected with a lot of people around the world who love cold calling. So I did a webinar years ago with a Canadian and someone from Amsterdam and oh, it was lots of fun. But yeah, there were definitely differences between our styles. And I would say that Aussies do hate pushy salespeople or people that are kind of very cut and dry, you know, make a yes or no answer right now. Because I think Americans are similar to that, Mm. as in Americans seem to, you know, want that quick paced sale. Whereas here, it's it's much more about nurturing and helping people and, yeah. you know, sharing the love, warm and fuzzy. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Are there any particular methodologies, frameworks, tools that you subscribe to as a leader? Look, I probably the short answer is no. I mean, I've definitely done a lot of uh, leadership training and self-development type courses and things like that. So they're probably the methods that I follow. But if you would put a label on it, I would say no. Um However, I I really enjoyed putting my team through, um, you know, courses where they have done, say, profiling, um, you know, things like that, where I think a a big part of leadership is really better understanding yourself. Mm. And then once you can understand yourself and your own behaviours, you can probably better understand others as well. So that's what I've tried to do for the team is, you know, we had an incident like a couple of years back. I'm very lucky now that I have a team that 
work so well together. You know, all the personalities, they get along so well. Um, you know, they all complement each other. But we did have one time where someone came in and she was so fantastic at what she did. That's what really broke my heart was I loved her performance, but her personality just clashed with everybody. So that was a huge learning for me. But I wanted to show the team that it wasn't about her per se. It was just her style. You know, you needed to understand what, you know, things meant to her or why she did what she did. Mm. And uh, I think it was a good learning for everybody. Okay. Mm. Biggest challenge right now as a leader? Because I'm a big believer that you're like me, you're a business owner. So you have your leadership challenges, but you also have your business challenges. And I think- a lot of leaders who aren't business owners don't necessarily get that. Yes. So from a leadership perspective, biggest challenge right now? Oh, look, the biggest leadership challenge for me is always recruiting the right people. (laughs) (laughs) I think that, no, well, I mean, as I said, I'm very lucky that I have a very cohesive and amazingly strong team and it's taken me a long time to build that up, I Mm. might say. Um, One thing coming into um, developing the promo Donna that I really was focused on was um, developing a a long-term team. So what I mean by that is, you know, we talk about other telemarketing or lead gen agencies they tend to attract backpackers or, you know, the churn and burn numbers, whereas my big passion is, you know, one of our team being an extension of our client's team. So that means they need to be with us long term. And I'm really proud to say that most of the women with me now have been with me for three, four plus years. So there is that long term focus. Um, However, that's all from the recruiting point of view as well. So I have a very rigorous process when it comes to hiring someone. Um, Usually it's, you know, the interview process um, is, you know, like a normal interview. But then sometimes it's it's almost like an acid test is given after where... I put them on the phones because the proof is in the pudding. And if they don't feel uh, comfortable just having a genuine conversation, they're not going to be comfortable with their clients. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, recruitment, um, finding great people is always the challenge because I'll also say there that people often say, oh, yeah, I love cold calling. And then they last a week or two. <laughs> yeah, look, yeah. I, I, I actually don't think there are many people who say that that I believe. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I, and I think the majority of salespeople that I know or met, and I am one, uh, we, we certainly never put I love before that word <laughs> cold calling. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting way to find the right people. Yeah. So I want to explore your area of leadership passion. And you mentioned just then it's about your people and, and, and their extension of, of the client. So I want to explore that a bit mm. more. So do, do you see the, the business and your leadership more around the people or do you see it more around the customer? Oh, that's a great question. I would say it's both. Look, You know, and I mean, that's an easy get out to that question, isn't it? You know, to say both. But one thing that comes to mind is that, you know, obviously our clients are everything. You know, we wouldn't have a business if we didn't have our client base. However, I also know that I wouldn't have a business without my staff either. And I remember I was asked this question once by a coach. He said, if you... um, were you had you know you were out of office one day and one of your staff was rocking up and they couldn't get in you know like they they lost their key or something happened like that at the same time you've got a client ringing you saying that it's hugely important you know that you call them back who do you tend to first oh wow, i see that is isn't it a great question it's an interesting question. What was your answer? <laughs> so, well, apparently the right answer <laughs> is your staff. And I actually did react in that fashion, I'm proud to say. I said, no, 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 you would definitely react to your staff first because, you know, if they can't open the door and get in and get the business up and running and functioning, well, they can't look after the client anyway. So, yeah, I guess that's how I'm trying to answer your question is that, I would see that you would almost have to 
hold both of them up on the same pedestal and say mm. that both are very important because, yeah, as I said, if you don't have either of them, you you don't have a business. Yeah, mm. absolutely. So talk to me about how you go about developing your people mm. so that they're going to deliver an awesome outcome for your clients. Yes. Okay. So cold callers are very target-driven people. So that's one thing I've learned over the years. And it's probably, you know, I had to learn that about myself as well because, again, people always ask me, you know, why do you love it? And one thing I do, I tell people in my training is that I always write down, and this is without fail, Every single day I'll write down on a piece of paper, you know, I achieved X amount of meetings for my client and then write, you know, one, two, three down the page if it's three meetings and it kind of eventuates from that. I guess why I'm bringing this up is that I had to make sure that my team were very focused and very target-driven and also had therefore had processes to help them to drive that as well. So we have, for example, a system in place where they fill out, you know, number of calls, number of people they've spoken to, but then, you know, how many appointments they've got as well. Uh, Because I think they really feel fulfilled at an end of a day, at the end of the day, if they've got those appointments, um, you know, under their belt. If they don't, they always feel a bit deflated. So the first thing is um, I always make sure we've got the systems in place to help them to achieve and see that they're making progress as well. But second to that, it's also about the training and support that I offer. So um, every client that starts with us, uh, it is about understanding them and their brand as if we're an employee, you know, I, I mentioned how we want to be an extension of their team. So part of that is giving my callers the confidence to talk about them on the phone as if they were a part of their team. And a lot of training goes into that. So, you know, I'll sit down with them, um, go through all the stuff that I've covered with a client during a workshop. Um, We do a lot of role plays. Um, You know, the team also bounces off one another. So if someone says, oh, I'm struggling a bit with this, they'll share, oh, well, that happened with me with a client. You should try this strategy. So yeah, a lot of training goes in to the start of a client campaign and also ongoing. You know, our scripts get refined regularly. So if I notice that we're not hitting targets, because we have weekly reflections on that, you know, we we do weekly reports. We also have meetings um, weekly so that we can reflect on, okay, what did we achieve last week? So if the numbers aren't, you know, where they should be, It might be an approach side of thing. It might be a mindset. You know, there's a Mm. lot of support that that ultimately needs to go into it all. So, um, so yeah, I would say systems, processes, training, that ongoing support. And I did mention that, um, you know, they've done things like, you know, disc profiling or, you know. So I try to, in an ongoing fashion, provide that additional kind of self-development because I think everyone should be continuously learning. I don't ever believe that we can sit here and say, oh, I know everything. Even for me, I am so passionate about continuing my learnings around sales because it always rapidly changes. So, yeah. Okay. And how do you think, do you think your your team consider you to be a particular type of leader. So step into their shoes for a minute. What sort of leader do you think they think you are? Are you the, the supporter? Are you the visionary? Are you the micromanager? What are you in their in their view, do you think? <laughs> I, I wish they were here to ask them. I'd probably have a laugh at their answer. But um, look, I would say definitely probably if you, you know, took those three things that you just mentioned, the visionary, the supporter, the micromanager, I'm certainly not a micromanager. And that was one thing I actually learned. Have you ever read The E-Myth? Yes, Michael Gerber. Yes, yep. right. And this is for listeners as well because I always bring up this book and some people, if they haven't read it, I'm like, you're kidding me. You've got to go out and buy it because that book really – Wow, it was such an eye-opener for me because in it, you know, for those of you who haven't read it, you start off a business as the technician 
which was certainly me. Like I was a cold caller. I loved doing it. And I had that entrepreneurial seizure where I went, why am I calling for someone else when I should be running my own business? So that happened and I started running my own business. But then I had to step into the manager role. And what I learned about myself is that managing people doesn't come naturally. I have to say that, that I do rather work independently. So, you know, I often say, lock me away in a room cold calling and I'd be really happy. And I am happy that way. However, that's not my role as the business owner. So quite often I will be managing the team and I really have to um, support them. So, yeah, I guess I bring all of that story up because I find that micromanaging is not me because, again, naturally I don't like managing people. So they probably like that in a sense. You know, my team are very self-sufficient. They manage their accounts really well. They know that once they're trained, they kind of go for it. And they also know that they have the ability to come to me and say, "Um, Ash, this isn't working. I'm refining the script. Can we do that? because I have a very open door policy and I'm usually on the floor with them anyway, let's say. Um, So I would say I'm probably very much a supporter, but I think a visionary kind of comes into it a little bit as well because I'm always, I'm a very big picture person. Mm -hmm. So I've always got big dreams for the company. And I think sometimes I even shock them with those dreams sometimes i'll come forward and go when are you doing this when what you know like you want to do what how have you got time i'm like we'll we'll find a way so sometimes they come along for the ride but i love that yeah i've got their support okay okay i want to ask you a question around uh something I've noticed about me. And so it's an obviously a, a question I could only ask another business owner, but there is a leadership context for the listeners. So I'm not just being self-indulgent. <laughs> uh, one of the things I've reflected on probably about the last three months in my leadership is that I have been more focused on what I need to do, generating revenue, looking after customers, being in front of customers, than I have focused on my team. And, and as a leadership trainer, I'm there talking to people about focus on your team, focus on your team. And I feel as though that I've sort of let that focus slide a little. Has that ever happened to you? If it has, what have you done about it? Oh, that's a great question. And it's a little bit like we were talking about earlier, weren't we, Julian, that the the plumber doesn't fix his own toilet. So it's like that with (laughs) you, with the leadership. But um, I would say that that happens regularly you know if I'm really honest because I think as a business owner what you said is you know 100% correct that it's very hard we have to juggle and wear so many hats don't we so I very much am focused you know on you know bringing the revenue in I still predominantly am the salesperson for the promo donna probably because I love it as well but because I'm always what you know i would argue oh well i have to bring in revenue because that allows them to keep their jobs <laughs> and you know get more clients and be busy and you know all of that however it is really important that we do make that time to focus and and really check in with the team as well but look i would say that on a positive note that is why the weekly training and the weekly meetings and things are so great for my business because sometimes things come out of that that you know I go oh I wasn't aware of that so you know let's let's change that or let's you know I'll work with you on that or something along those lines and I would hope that I am a leader who is open and approachable enough that if the team were struggling with something or needed additional training or, you know, something along those lines, they would let me know. Like Kerry, for example, the other day said to me, I want to just go out for lunch soon. You know, just like a, not asking me to take her out for lunch and pay for her, you know, it was more, let's have an out of office you know, fun together, you know, we've all been working so hard the last few months, let's do something like that. So now we've penciled it in that we are going to do it after April because we've got a lot of client campaigns on currently. But it was great that she felt 
you know, comfortable enough to come forward mm. and say that to me. Mm. So, so yeah, does that answer your question? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So you, you mentioned before about these big dreams. Mm. I want to talk to you about future. So what, what are these big dreams you've got? Love it. Um, I am such a goal-setting person. You know, someone said to me years ago, you sound like a woman with a five-year plan. And I'm like, I am. So I certainly am. And actually, before I tell you my big goals and big vision, I, I would love to share a story from the past because sure. I think it it shows people, again, the type of person I am, but hopefully might even give them a bit of a tip while I'm at it. So because I've always had these big visions, again, I've done a lot of self-development courses and things like that. Can I interrupt for a second? Yeah. I'm curious. Yeah. Because I've done a lot of self-development too. <laughs> yeah. who, who, what sort of self-development have you done? I love Tony Robbins. Good. Oh, my god. No wonder we get along. I've done yeah. three of these programs. Yeah, let's do it. Do you know, and it's funny, you know, I, I'm a big believer that you attract people that are like you. You know, yeah. you've got to surround yourself with like-minded people. But the clients I've been working with or meeting with recently, everyone seems to have some interaction with Tony Robbins or mm-hmm. I have a client that we've just started working with. They know him. Oh, wow. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I said, can you introduce me? And they were kind of laughing going, well, it was kind of because we paid a lot of money to do his like, you know, Fiji mastery yeah, course yeah. or whatever it was. Um, but anyway, Tony Robbins is is one. Um, I loved listening to Jim Rohn. Do you okay. know who Jim Rohn yes. is? Oh, for those of you, if you haven't, please do because he's he's a bit of a sales guru. He mm. really was into network marketing, but a lot of the network marketing aspect was direct marketing and direct selling. So I, I loved that. Brian Tracy, my dad introduced me to okay. way back when. And I'll tell you something funny about Brian Tracy. When I was about 16, 17 years old, did you know I wrote him an email and I said, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to be like you? <laughs> and, you know, he wrote back. Really? Right. This blows people's mind. They're like, he wrote back. Because this guy, for those of you who don't know him, American motivational guru, Absolutely. business guru, probably doesn't have a lot of time to write back emails. Mm. But he wrote back. And, look, he might have told someone to write this, but I took it, you know, um, that it was quite personal. Yes. He said, Ash, I love, you know, the passion, but I think you need to go and get some life experience. <laughs> and at first I was so defensive. I was like, how dare he? But now that I am, you know, mid-30s, I look back and I go, he was probably spot on. Um, so love that. So, yeah, they're probably three people I really love. There's so many more. Like there's so many business leaders and and whatnot that I, you know, watch and learn from a lot on social media mm. now. Um, but, yeah, where was our question coming? Oh, uh, the vision. Your story. The You're going to tell a story okay. before you get to your vision. Yes. So I'd actually gone to a course with Chris Howard and he actually – Is he in an LP? He is. Yeah, okay. So I've actually studied neurolinguistics programming. Okay. I've actually done – so much that I'm a master NLP coach, which I don't often tell a lot of people about. And it's mainly because when I do my training with my staff and whatnot, I wanted them to learn about rapport building because NLP is really next level rapport building. So anyway, I did this course. Chris Howard talked about writing yourself a letter to create or manifest, you know, what you wanted. So I wrote this letter to myself and I remember I was around – it must have been when I just started Promo Donna. I was about a year in and my dream was I wanted an office in the city because, you know, I wanted to be in that corporate lush land um, and to have this beautiful office space. So I actually wrote to myself as if I was 30. So it was my 30th birthday and I wrote it very descriptive like, you know, it's my 30th birthday, I'm walking into the office um, I even described the chairs and things like this. I could see it all in, in my mind. And I remember I put that letter away in the office. So I had an office at the time, but it was in Frankston. And again, I was probably 26, 27. And so you wouldn't believe it. You probably would. Like my, <laughs> my 30th birthday, that weekend, I was packing the office to move to the city, right? And I find the letter 
in the um it was like in a bookshelf and I opened it and I read it and I just could not believe it you know you hear so many stories like this that it's again that manifestation at work because I read it and the chairs that I had imagined you would remember maybe Julian that in my South Melbourne office there was this really weird kind of yes lush chair wasn't there that was the kind of chair I'd imagined so it, it just goes to show that I, I'm such a big believer in, you know, really deciding what you want and going for it, but also, you know, writing your goals down because so many of us say, oh, yeah, I've got a goal for the future, but we never actually write it down. And there's a huge percentage gap in the people that achieve something and don't, and half of it is just from putting it on paper. Yep. So for me, um, uh, yes, I do have goals for the next five years. Um, it's always about growth for the promo donor, obviously. Um, a big part of it is growing part of the business, which is all around training people in how to sell more effectively and, and cold call more effectively too. And I've written that letter. Okay. Now, I have a few hurdles along the way because people listening may not know that I'm pregnant again, so I've got to Congratulations. Thank you. I think it's the first time we've announced pregnancy on the podcast, so that's a special moment. It is. It's a new thing for you. Um, So I've got a daughter um, who's only 18 months, and so we're due in September. Um, So it's in very exciting times, but, you know, it's definitely – going to change things in terms of you know the, the goals won't change but it's almost like the track you know sometimes you see yeah. those pictures of entrepreneurial journeys and you know the the track to get to where you wanted to go was that squiggly line yes. all over the page yeah. that's kind of how I see it working I know I will get there for that vision but it might look a little different it's the time frame isn't it it is it is the time frame too yeah okay let's talk to us about these goals because i'm a big believer that like yourself you need to write stuff down yes so where are you taking this business where are you taking your people yeah so for me so the promo donor predominantly and this actually um you know kind of looks into how the industry might be changing as well because you know you asked early on about that great debate of is cold calling dead and I definitely said no it's not but I do believe that sales has changed over the years and you know obviously we've got to take into account that social media and online strategies are bigger than ever I'm a big believer in utilizing them too Uh, so what we did a couple of years back is we added social media to our toolkit so okay. I hired some girls that not only were amazing cold callers but did have social media experience and expertise as well. So is that running Facebook ads, Google AdWords, things like that? Not necessarily the ad side of thing. Look, we have that capacity, but it's almost like looking at it looking looking at social media like you look at your cold calling, right? Yep. No one has time to cold call. Mm. But it's a really required part of the sales process. You know, you've got to consistently call. It's a bit like all the content on social media. In order to get noticed, in order to build your brand, you've got to be consistently posting. And that's every day. You know, people don't realize that. It's like cold calling. People come to me and say, oh, we cold call every week. And I say, well, how many calls do you make? Or 10? I'm like, we make hundreds a day. You know, that's what we're doing for clients. And it's the same with social media that we have a client, for example, right now they're in the pharmaceutical industry. And I love this because it seems quite out of the box for a pharmaceutical company to be on social media and do, and using these platforms. But they run a lot of conferences and events and they saw it as a great way to build up their brand, be seen as an expert and get people along to these events. So we post for them every single day. So our job is probably more around content creation. Okay. So we create um, images and, you know, the the actual quotes to go with them or, um, you know, blogs or, um, you know, and that's posting on Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn and all the different platforms.
times. So, uh, yeah, we do a lot of that work. We can do the ads, but it's probably not in our area of expertise. You know, we're probably not the people we would get a partner in to probably yeah. help with that side of things. Um, but, yeah, the reason I bring up the social media is my vision for the business is that in around a five-year time frame, I want another office in the city. Okay. Bigger. <laughs> Bigger. Bigger. B- more beautiful chairs. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and I can see them. I'm telling you right now, I've got the image of the chairs in my head. But we would probably have several departments. Uh-huh. Yes. So cold calling is still going to definitely be one of the core elements of the business and we'll have the team there but we will probably have a social media team and we will probably even have a PR team as well because PR public relations is in my background and again people I think are sometimes looking for that turnkey solution of well I don't want to just have to go to PR and a social media manager and a cold caller can't we just have it all under the one roof and we do have that capacity now but maybe people don't know it enough so in the long run that's what I want to be promoting more and growing it so that we have those departments okay so and also diversifying your revenue exactly which is a crucial part of being a business owner definitely okay definitely and training is going to be a big part I think so. Well, that's that's the goal for me because I think, you know, we come back to that whole working on the business, not in the business side of thing. Julian rolls his eyes there. Um, Look, it's, it's something that, you know, I want to achieve for myself because with a growing family, I do have to have that ability to step out of the business a lot more. But then having children has also made me look at my priorities again as well because as much as I love cold calling, I think one of my greatest passions is talking and speaking um, and treat people. Mm. So probably when it comes to the growth of the business, it would be getting someone to manage the cold calling side of things, getting someone who's a specialist in social media in there, and then I'll probably do more of the training. And I will have trainers under me, Mm. but... Yeah, the goal is to do more of that myself. Awesome. 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 <laughs> love it. Anyone anyone that's in training industry, I, I love hearing about what they're doing in training. And the, awesome. the, the good thing about that I see about sales training is it's one of the areas where businesses will always spend money on training. Leadership training, nice to have if we have budget. <laughs> sales training, not nah, we need it because we need to make revenue. We need our people to be better. Yeah. And, you know, in, in my past training company, I saw the – I saw the ability of, well, not so much the ability, but I saw the potential when you're selling a really good sales training product, what what the potential is. Yes. There's a lot of potential. Well, that's great feedback. And I think, again, coming back to that whole saying of, you know, a, a salesperson or a plumber not, you know, fixing mm. his own toilet, it's a little bit like that with the promo donor quite often you know selling for us you know isn't the priority because we're facilitating our our clients um activity and i guess what i'm getting at here is that i haven't really spooked our training a lot you know Mm. quite often it just evolves from conversations like oh you do cold calling really well could you train my staff and i'll go yeah fantastic but I think, like you said, there's a big need out there. There's a big gap, especially for fresh people in this industry. Also those that practice what they preach. I think there's a lot of sales trainers that they're very theory-based and they don't sell. Absolutely they don't. There's plenty of them around. (laughs) Totally. So I love that, you know, I can say, well, I'm still on the tools with my team calling. I know Mm. what rejections, you know, or objections you're going to get next Mm. week because, you know, I handle them right now. Mm. Um, So, yeah, it's exciting to to think about promoting that more and hopefully doing more of that. Cool. So if people want to find out more about you and the promo donor, where should they go? Well, there are lots of ways you can find us. Um, So, look, I said that I'm a big believer in social media. So, um, you know, we are on all of the platforms. We're on Instagram. So the the handle's at the promo donna. Um, You can also find us on Facebook. We've got a Facebook page. 
please reach out and uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, Julian knows that I've um, been posting a lot of video content this year and I'm a big believer in sharing knowledge and sharing tips and tricks. So every week I'm doing, you know, a, a tip on handling objections, for example, or how to perfect your pitch, whatever it might be. So if you want to learn more about that, connect with Ashley Alsardi on LinkedIn or otherwise you can just visit our website. So that's www.thepromodonna.com. Awesome. Any last words on leadership? I think just like I said, you really have to just, you know, understand your team and empathize with them, get to know them and what they're going through in order to to really help and support them. Because I don't think you can, you know, be a great leader if you're kind of looking down and, you know, not getting in the trenches and experiencing things. One person I would love to bring up to finish off on is Jacinda Ardern. Yep. Oh, my gosh. Rather one of probably the most impressive politician going around at the moment. Amazing, right? You know, and I always loved her prior to what's happened in Christchurch, unfortunately, you know, recently. I thought she was an amazing woman, probably too because I connect with her as a mum. You know, she she got asked that question, um, you know, what are you going to do when you have a baby and you're prime minister? And she's like, I'm going to be prime minister. What are you talking about? (laughs) You know, and I got asked a similar question when I was having a baby and running a business. What are you going to do with your business? And it's like, the world doesn't stop when you have a baby. I'm still going to continue running the promo donna. But I think she has just been such an amazing leader through this whole process. And I guess I bring her up to say that's someone you should aspire to be like. Because if you look at the types of things she brings to the table, number one, you know, she's so genuine and so empathetic with those around her. You know, she really, like when she went down, and saw the people mourning and kind of that's about getting in the trenches, you know, understanding them, being there for them. I loved that. But I also love that she's a leader that takes actions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, she stood up there and she said these amazing speeches that engaged people, but then she took action. She, you know, banned all these guns and, you know, did something about it. So I think that's another takeaway is practice what you preach. You know, if something needs to change, change it. You know, don't faff around. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, on on that note of not faffing around, thanks, Ash, for being on the Synergy Leadership Podcast. Uh, It has been my absolute pleasure. And, uh, look, I hope that people can have some kind of takeaway from my learnings over the years. Absolutely. Bye for now. Bye. Well, that wraps up episode 71 of the Synergen Leadership Podcast, another great business leader interview for you. I'd like to encourage you to head on over to the Synergen Group website and engage in the conversation with us. Tell us what you liked about the episode, tell us who you'd like me to interview, or tell us what sort of content you'd like us to deliver. And if you are an iPhone user, please feel free, head on over to the Apple site and leave us a review. It does help us build awareness of the podcast. In next week's episode, we have another great business leader interview for you where I speak with Joe Burston, founder and MD of Job Capital, one of Australia's most successful entrepreneurs. It's another great interview episode. Until then, love to hear what you think. Happy listening.